The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. I believe in a God of second chances. That drives my restoration. I do that process with stuff to bring it back to a new life of value, beauty, and function. I think that's what God's in the business of doing with us. I've been through that process. His calling is to create beauty with his hands. Coming up, you'll meet the village woodwright, as he calls himself. Ed Bouvier will join us on First Person. Welcome to this week's edition. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Before we start, please take advantage of our First Person website and smartphone app. Both allow you to listen anytime to a wide range of interviews as people talk about their faith in Christ and how their life has changed as a result. Listen on demand at firstpersoninterview.com or by using the app you can download programs to listen to offline anytime. Search for the app in your favorite app store. It's called First Person Interview. Also, take a few moments to learn about the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC partners with First Person to bring you these interviews, and your support of FEBC helps proclaim the gospel in many countries through radio and new media. Go online to febc.org. That's febc.org. I'm sure many of you listening like to work with your hands, whether it's a hobby or a profession. I recently visited the woodworking shop of our guest, Ed Bouvier, and consider him an artist at what he does. Artist might be a stretch. I'd call myself an artisan, which is sort of a tradesman with a creative streak. Pretty much my business falls into three categories. One is I restore antique furniture or broken family heirlooms. Um, I also design and build custom furniture for people's uh, needs around their home or business. And I also am about to launch teaching of classes in my own shop. And that's something I've had a passion for for some time. Well, I recently had the opportunity to visit your shop, which is uh, very interesting to see how you go about it because there's a a lot that you've crammed into that uh, small space, but you've expanded the space as well into a new building even. Yes, yes. Things things are moving, aren't they? I have two buildings in the name of efficiency. (laughs) Well, I've seen your work, and I would call you an artist, not just an artisan, but an artist. Uh, I really admire it, and uh, I wish I could could understand how you do some of the stuff you do. We'll talk more about that later, but Mm -hmm. there's a story behind what you do. And that's what we really want to talk about here today. So tell me, uh, tell me your story. Where, where did uh, your life intersect with Christ? Well, my life intersected with Christ around age 12, um, which is a common age when you go to church as a kid. Um, I decided that he was the answer to life's big questions, probably by 12 years old. I was baptized around 13. And that was all well and good, but I had a tendency to... Um, only be surrounded by churches that didn't necessarily preach strictly from the Bible. Uh, So there was a lot of biblical truth I did not get. I didn't have the facts. I always tell people, research the facts, and I didn't have them. So by age 20, um, halfway through, believe it or not, a Christian college, I was doubting the existence of God. Really? Uh, Many circumstances had come into life which were not fair, not good, and not easy, including my roommate – my roommate's mom, who passed away of cancer, mm-hmm. and they were one of the most godly people I'd ever met, that couple. Um, through a small miracle of a friend uh, intercepting me during the summer between two college years, um, I got the basic facts on the faith that I'd always said I believed in, and now I understood 
why. Okay. So that you made a commitment at that point in I, your life? I, I recommitted at that point okay. and, and felt like there would not be a turning back. By my mid-30s, and we may get into this later, I had some serious health issues and two um, near-death experiences actually. And spending weeks in the hospital, I realized I had a peace and a sense about um, my life and my afterlife, if you will, uh, that I'd never experienced. And I had no idea where it came from. It, mm -hmm. I was just peaceful. And even hospital staff noticed it. Uh, and one of your friends, Mike Kellogg, actually got me through many nights in the oh, hospital yeah, back sure. then as I listened all to the night radio, radio all host. night long. That's yeah. right. Wonderful. Wonderful guy. Good friend. What were what were the health crises that you faced? I have Crohn's of the small intestine, and I'd been having serious pain since I was, say, 11 or 12 years old, but it was never diagnosed until my mid-30s and when I was reduced to about 108 pounds. Wow. Could no longer bike commute or even get out of bed some days, and I ended up having four major surgeries and uh, was diagnosed and treated at a university research hospital as a research patient. Mm -hmm. I was so far gone by the time it was discovered. Mm -hmm. But you said you had a sense of peace that whole time. I did. Um, and you knew that came from Christ. Oh, yes, yes, because all of my life I'm taught to be self-sufficient. And I was self-sufficient. I could do everything. I, I do every trade you need, renovate your house, put a roof on, mow the lawn, and fix somebody's car. I will do it all. And now I was laying on my back. My very life was in the hands of other people. And an example, I had to move my mailbox to meet code for the post office. And I couldn't do it myself. And I had to let someone else do it. And that was very difficult. And you know what? Somebody else could do it. Yeah. I could be replaced. <laughs> <laughs> Such a simple um, thing, though, but it, it meant a lot to you. That Someone else moving that mailbox, a coworker of mine, um, was a turning point. I could now let people mow my own lawn correctly. I could let people trim my own bushes correctly. <laughs> I could let people treat my health, and I didn't have to be in control of my own life anymore. Hmm. And it was okay. Mm -hmm. Was there scripture that came along to your mind that really helped in that way? Myriad scriptures, pretty much anything that uh, – talks about the peace that passes understanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, when you can not have the energy to get out of bed and you've got intravenous nutrients going in you and, and doctors coming in 24-7 to check on you and you feel a peace that nobody can explain, uh, I can't explain it. How's that? Yeah. Uh, it, Scripture meant a lot to you. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. definitely. So how long did that go on? Between the real bad onset of symptoms, and I should say that um, this wasn't the only thing. My wife and I had uh, experienced a miscarriage of our only pregnancy, oh. then uh, infertility, and then we had a failed adoption that fell through the morning the mother gave birth and changed her mind. Oh, I'm so that, sorry. We went straight from that into all of my diagnostics and surgeries. So that whole period of time was probably 15 plus years, maybe okay. 17 years. And how did you... How were you sustained during that time financially? Amazingly. My wife and I um, both had jobs. And so I actually was uh, – I had been at my job 17 years. So I actually had disability um, from both my employer short term and then long term. I was on Social Security okay. medical disability. My wife did have to return to work even after those other um, sorry circumstances we'd been through. Uh, as you can imagine, we were – we were wiped out. We were just walking the treadmill at the pace life was pushing us mm -hmm. just to keep up. As you look back on that now, uh, what are your thoughts about what you went through? 
it can be summarized as, boy, I must be really hard for God to get my attention. <laughs> um, I'll get myself on a path and just go and not turn to the left or the right. And if somebody, and in this particular case, I'm convinced God needed to get my attention and say, there's something better for you. It really takes a drastic circumstances yeah. to stop me in my tracks. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how uh, the circumstances of life that often break us are the very things that God uses to propel us? Yes. And I would not have given up any of those hard circumstances. I've been inspired a lot by uh, Johnny Erickson Tata's yes. teachings. And my wife and I both feel that we have uh, legitimized our ability to listen to other people with hurt. Hmm simply by having experienced many forms of hurt ourselves, hurts, disappointments, and even physical pain. Yeah. Um, now, now people realize we can hear them if they hurt. So has there been physical healing in your life? Yes. I've had no sign of any active Crohn's in over 10 years, and we give thanks to the Lord for that, and great accolades to the research doctors who uh, studied me all the way down to the molecular DNA level, actually. <laughs> uh, they even put me through some tests to get FDA approval for uh, procedures which are now used in modern medicine in this country. So a lot of people are being helped by what you yes. went through. Yes, yes, one are. way to look at that, isn't mm -hmm. it? But again, the lesson there, how would you characterize the lesson? Trust in God, be faithful, and that, that faith, I mean, that, that's a generic, be faithful. Be faithful to God and have the trust that he will see you through. And when I say see you through, we often say the Lord's Prayer at our breakfast table. Mm -hmm. And we emphasize the daily bread part. When you're Now we're self-employed. after going you through know what all it's like. That, yeah. you know, <laughs> after all the unemployment and now the self-employment, um, we'll be taken care of for today. Hmm. Tomorrow we'll have worries of its own, but they aren't for us to be concerned about. Perseverance is a quality that uh, we sometimes overlook, but boy, is it necessary, huh? Yeah. And I would say that perseverance is not easy. Yeah. And again, it's the hard lessons that build that perseverance. We'll continue to get to know Ed Bouvier and learn more about his craft of woodworking coming up on First Person. I'm so grateful for the grace I receive while listening to FBBC all day long. I cried listening to God's message multiple times. The Far East Broadcasting Company receives millions of responses each year from grateful listeners. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company, until all have heard. My guest is Ed Bouvier. Ed is the Village Woodwright. Uh, I, I love your work, Ed, and we'll put a link to your website on our firstpersoninterview.com website so people can see photos of your work through your website as well. But you are an artist, an artisan as you call it. Um, again, how do you describe what you do now? You're self-employed doing this. Creative. Um <laughs> I don't know how. I, artisan, I it, guess. It just comes out, doesn't it? I, I mean, as I said earlier, I'm just a tradesman who's got a creative bent. <laughs> well, please. I mean, you can take a piece of wood and make a piece of art out of it. I, I've seen it. It's not. It's it's in the shaping. It's in the the vision of what it can be. Uh, it, it doesn't uh, cease to amaze me. I think part of what an artisan is, um, and kind of the way you're describing it, is um, many people know the work of Da Vinci as mm -hmm. an artist, mm -hmm. but he was an inventor. 
Yes. And sketched mechanical items and, and fiddled with tools. Um, I would not put myself on that level. <laughs> but ever since I was a child, I've liked everything. So I actually have taken formal studies classes and in some cases uh, completed college degrees in everything from heating and air conditioning to pipe organ to broadcast communication to auto mechanics, interior design. You are a renaissance man, I believe, huh? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> renaissance man is a good at everything he tries. I'm, I just try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We often say that we're a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. That, I think you're a jack-of-all-trade and master of many. Let me put it that way. So I, I'm on my journey in that direction. <laughs> well, I wanted our listeners to hear from you today because not only have you got this story of how God is provided for you in your life, but also as, as an artist, you know, where the creativity comes from, where the drive comes from, uh, connect this spiritual part of your story that we talked about in the first half of our conversation today with what you do. It, did that result in a calling? And how did that all come about? Sort of a summary of that was um, I've, ever since I was maybe eight, I've enjoyed just going into the basement, playing with tools, playing with scrap wood, whatever. My father was a pilot. He was sometimes gone for days at a time. Oh. So I went down and entertained myself. I had a wild imagination. I even broke some of the tools which he has now given to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to watch what you do. Um, as I went through a career as a heating air conditioning technician, I always enjoyed the creative uh, design parts of it. I've always enjoyed working with my hands since I was a child. I still have two pieces of furniture I did as a child, and they are functional in my home today now I'm in my 50s. Um, but when I went through that serious medical issue, I was on disability, and then after disability, still took a few more years to recover, so almost a decade went by. I volunteered with community groups. I'd worked on boilers before that, and now suddenly I discovered people. Hmm. People were wonderful. I worked with uh, music therapy with people with disabilities. I fixed bicycles for, for immigrants and people who needed transportation until they could get a license. I worked at uh, Klein Creek Farm, a local Victorian living history museum, and I was a carpenter there, and I taught school groups. And then I learned the old tools there. Uh, that was a new thing for me. And, and the passion bit. I'm still today uh, a volunteer leader at my church's youth ministry where we have 85 students just in the 7th and 8th grade. Mm. And they are a blast. Mm -hmm. And I know with your new shop that you've established, you have a vision for perhaps helping young people get into woodworking and at least to know what it's all about. Right? Yes, yes. So the combination of working in living history and being a people person now, working with people with disabilities and with youth, I decided I wanted to teach woodworking and people started asking me to do it. So I've written some curriculum, tried it out. It's a smash hit success, but there's no facilities <laughs> right, for it. Right. So I'm in the attempt investing everything I have, time and money, to present a usable, dedicated facility to teaching both adults and children. I find that interesting because obviously this is a, a, a digital age that we live in. And kids, I, I watched a toddler the other day pick up an iPad and just zip around on an iPad and I thought to myself, that's wonderful. But on the other hand, I wonder if they'll have any other hands-on tactile things to do. You know what I mean? Yes. In fact, I frequently joke that in my shop, we get to exercise more than just the thumb muscle. <laughs> <laughs> Good way to put it. Um, more and more studies today show that there has to be a balance of outdoor play in the dirt for our immune systems. Mm -hmm. There has to be a balance of tactile, creative building and not just flat screen interaction. Yeah. There's a lot of benefits that take place. 
neurologically uh, muscular build. And so I want to be able to provide what's more and more missing in our society. And when you mentioned the flat screen, we also have a society that interacts impersonally, and yet there's a growing sense of need for being part for a connection, a, mm-hmm. having a unique value as part of a community. And when we would work in groups and build things creatively, that happens. I want that to happen in yeah. my shop. You want to foster that, don't you? Yes, I do. Well, I, I pray that God will help fulfill that vision for you because it, I feel it's God given for you to have that dream. So look forward to that. I, I love the fact that kids play with Legos because that's that's yes. building, isn't it? Oh, I did that, yes. And for me growing up, I'm a little bit older than you, but for me growing up, it was the Erector set. That I, I had the Erector set. So I had the Lincoln Logs. Well, oh, I yeah. still have Lincoln Logs. I don't have the Lincoln Logs, but I have the Erector set, at least pieces of it mm-hmm. that have survived all these mm-hmm. years. And uh, now with a new grandson I'm, who's uh, you know not old enough yet, I'm thinking I need to get him into using the old Erector set. You know, yes. so. There's something about the human creative spirit, which I think is a reflection of God as a creative God, making us in him his image, that very concept implies we are also creative, yeah. and we need to use yeah. that. Do you see that creative ability as given back to God as worship? Definitely. It's a gift. Uh, some people are able to exercise it to greater extents, or uh, everybody can exercise it to some extent, uh, maybe in different areas of life. But I think we all need to offer that back up. Uh, the creativity is I, – I, I see eye to eye with Philip Ryken in his book, Art for God's Sake. And my thought process is similar to his in that God created with order. He created with a balance, beauty, and functionality. And all of them reflect goodness and what is true. Uh, I attempt those same concepts when I design furniture. And when I use my creativity. Hmm. Let's talk about the restorative part of what you do. I've seen you take an antique chair and just make it new again with all of its joints solid. Uh, I've seen uh, photos of, um, of, of uh, entryway doors that have just come to life with your refinishing techniques. How did you learn all this? Uh, I just sort of watch. I listen. I read. A voracious reader. Um, my library contains texts as well as ebooks from the late 1600s all the way through to 2019. Hmm. Uh, you I, study the history oh, of yes. woodworking. And, and, and I'm not actually thinking of myself as studying the history of woodworking. I'm studying contemporary woodworking throughout history. Excellent. Okay. And so in my processes, uh, when I do new designs, I'll incorporate the best of any century into a contemporary piece. Can you give me an example? Uh, A piece that you saw in my shop when you visited there has uh, drawboard mortise and tenons, which forms the base of the cabinet. And those stem back to English oak furniture of the 1500s. You know Uh, that. Oh, yes. (laughs) I could look at that and appreciate that, but I have no idea where it came from. And the top part of that case incorporates a lot of high-grade furniture plywood with pocket hole screws, which came about more towards the late Victorian period and are still used in uh, cabinet work today. And some of it is glued and some of it has mechanical joints. I'm using whatever is actually most efficient to fit within my design for strength and long-lasting durability, 
um, because we've got centuries and centuries. And some of what I do, the, the glues that I use and the joints I use go back as far as the Egyptian empire, hmm. thousands of years BC. Speaking of glue, you make some of your own glue? Hot hide glue, traditional hot hide glue. Okay, what is that? It comes in granules and it is literally made of animal protein. Um, and it's been used, again, since the Egyptian empire. It's still used today for instrument makers, violins, guitars, cellos. What's the advantage? The advantage is it's extremely strong and it doesn't creep. Some modern glues creep. In other words, the two parts can move ever so slightly in compared to each other. But more than anything else, under laboratory circumstances in the restoration shop, it's easily reversible. You can turn it back to liquid and take things apart. Hmm. So instead of throwing away your Stradivarius – we can reconstitute the glue on the instrument, take it apart, rebuild the Stradivarius just like new with the existing glue that's still in there. Have you tackled musical instruments? I have done one harp. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've done any other instruments. You mean built it or restored it? No, I restored it. Okay. When someone calls you in and says, here's what we're thinking, and you, you, you look at a, a wall that needs something on it, do you see the finished thing before you ever start working on it? What, what's in your head? Well, I have to see the finished thing or I don't know what to go buy. Okay. <laughs> do you work with plans? Do you... I do draw up my own plans. Uh, when someone points to a wall and says, this is what I want, they usually have an idea fairly well defined. And often they'll hand me a picture they've downloaded from the Internet. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much mm -hmm. to Google and such people. <laughs> right. Um, we can do that today. So I've got this picture and they say this is the wrong size. It's the wrong shape. But functionally, it's the concept I want. But it's designed wrong because what I want will look like my house architect. So you welcome the picture. You're yes. not offended by that. The picture is a fabulous building block okay. because now we have a common ground we're standing on and I can sketch in front of them what my thoughts are and hold my tape measure up to their wall. Essentially, then I go back, take all of our ideas, and sketch them up uh, either three-dimensionally or in side view, front plan, top view. And a number of my clients actually say thank you for the sketches. We meet with our interior designer regularly, and we'll get back to you. So they not only know what they want, they have an interior designer that helps them guide the, through those steps. Yeah. But often it's to match the interior architecture of their home. But I want to come back to the point that the whole reason you do this is because you feel called of God to yes. do what you do. That, that's front and center uh, why you are a village woodwright. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, I believe the creative aspect as well as the restorative aspect. I believe in a God of second chances. That drives my restoration philosophically. I mean to, to restore something, to, to bring it back to a new life of value, beauty, and function. Uh, I think that's what God's in the business of doing with us. I've been through that process. I do that process with stuff, but I also am involved with people to help foster that process in people too. You'll be able to see his stuff, as Ed calls it, when you go to our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the link to The Village Woodwright. Our guest has been Ed Bouvier, and I want to thank Ed for coming to the studio after I visited him in his woodworking studio. First Person is made possible through the Far East Broadcasting Company, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. For nearly 75 years, FEBC has been faithfully using technology to proclaim the gospel, and its ministry today is touching millions in hard-to-reach parts of the world. For more about FEBC, please visit febc.org. And view our Facebook page. We're online at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, 
I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again for First Person.